Canuck Central Hour number two is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one of the program, Ryan Johnson, assistant to the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, promotion today, he joined us on his new role, what it means, and uh, where the Canucks are headed this offseason. We broke that down, talked about the latest info on J.T. Miller and Brock Besser means as well. There's no question the uh, Canucks today probably won't look the same uh, as they will in uh, two weeks' time, Sat. Let's say post-NHL entry draft. I'd, uh, I'd set the number at at least one move for the Vancouver Canucks, one trade. By the po- Vancouver Canucks. Post-entry draft? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Excluding, like, you know, oh, so pick, le- pick movements. Okay, let's uh, let's set up a over-under. Yeah. You're saying 1.5? We're talking trades. Yeah. Like, real trades. Not like we're trading the 57th mm-hmm. pick for 63 yeah. and uh, 120. If you, put, if you put the over-under at 1.5, I'll take the over. At 2.5, oof, tough. Oh. Depends on the juice. Uh, all right, that's uh, that's interesting then. Uh, the Canucks definitely will be busy ahead of the NHL entry draft. Our next guest is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser River to serve you. It is Yannick Hansen. He joins us every Friday. Thanks for this, Yannick, as always. The thing I've been wanting to talk to you about the most is how Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final ended. The too many men on the ice. What like we all know it was too many men on the ice, but is that just something that happens so often in a game that it's probably not going to get called a lot of times? Yeah, a lot of times those ones it is like who's taken off, who um are you involved in the play, the guy that's coming off. There's so many gray areas here where when we changed the rules way back when to hooking and holding it was to get rid of these gray areas. These gray areas still exist on the changes because you are allowed to cheat a little bit as long as you're not involved in, in, in the play in any way. You're directing the puck, you're obstructing play and stuff like this. So now it really comes to, to the linesmen. They get, not only do they have to pay attention to who's coming on, but who are they taking off? Because if it's three guys coming to the bench, one is a little bit ahead, and the first guy coming off, who is he Who is he subbing for and all these things? So there, there's a lot of gray areas here. So it, it's one of those things, and you hate to see it being a deciding factor, but but I'm assuming they go over it afterwards and say, okay, it's it's good, I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, <laughs> there's no question there's a sixth player out there. Yeah. Um, is it the right or the wrong guy that got taken off? Uh, that, that That's the question. Well, I mean, and, and that's always hard to say. I mean, it's easy to say, you know, uh, McKinnon was coming off of Kadri and he was the last guy to go off, and that's what makes sense. And Kadri jumped on and had a scoring chance before McKinnon came off. I mean, to me, and I, you know, people got mad at me for saying, like, I don't, I didn't think it was that bad. Like, it's too many men; it should have been called, but I don't look at it. It was a hugely egregious call, and they can't review it after the fact. But did you think it was a really bad call? Do you think it was pretty quick when looking at it? Yeah, again, when when it comes down to 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 what uh, what it ended at, it's again, this is a six many or too many men penalty, but it's not like he he sprints out and get a breakaway. 
he comes out, he curls around. Yeah, they, they catch Tampa a little bit, but he's still uh, turnbuckling the, the defenseman and going inside out on him and putting it top shelf. So it, it, it required more than just, okay, there was a, there was a couple uh, seconds where they had too many men on the ice there. Um, again, that call aside, uh, that overtime was played to one end. Like Colorado's dominating again. Uh, the longer these games goes, it seems it just plays into Colorado's hand because they just lean on teams in ways that the team doesn't have a have an answer. Uh, anytime you saw Tampa kind of poking their head forward, it, it was one or two guys, and it was always outnumbered. Uh, in the sense that Colorado had more players uh, defending, where it was when it was the other end, it's breakaways, it's backdoor plays, it's uh, yeah, they're, they're they're exerting their their dominance. The later these games go, um, it seems like they can play a little deeper lineup as well, and it's really paying in, in, in dividends late in games. Now, obviously, you know Tampa is is the team that feels aggrieved there, and it, it happens on a on a game winning goal. Um, but it, it is the Stanley Cup final, and, and one of the things that, that one of the points a lot of people made was, well, it's it's the Stanley Cup final. They they let a lot of things go, and you know we think back to 2011 often and how much they let go back then. I mean, how frustrating was it um, when you know Boston was kind of allowed to to do whatever, or or how frustrating is it in general, Yannick, when you know the the, the rule book almost goes out the window in playoff games. Yeah, it kind of it kind of depends who it plays in, whose hands it played into. Uh, obviously, in in 2011, um, we had the best power play. We had uh, top two with top three um, uh, penalty kill. I think we had top two with top three five on five play as well. So we were pretty good situated there as well. The only problem was that one of the teams that were better than us five on five happened to be Boston. Um, so so it definitely and their their specialty team were compared to us ours not not very good so obviously that played uh, hugely into their hand um you you deal with it like i said yeah it's easy to to argue well we didn't get enough call and and so and so uh, but the calls we got we didn't score on either um so yeah had we gotten five or six more calls a game maybe we would have scored more goals um uh, we got we got blown out in Boston. Those games were over by 10, 15 minutes into the first period, and that was really the culprit. Because any games we got close, we kept close. Our skill kind of took 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 over, and and we would get those goals where when Boston was just humming and they would get all these goals, then we, we didn't get get a chance to 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 get ourselves in these games. And again, those three games in Boston, there's no question that we needed to find something there um, and not rely on, okay, we're, we're good enough at home and, and we'll just take it. Uh, we'll take it one at a time at home. So uh, truth be told, uh, our inability, if you will, to play in Boston is probably what hurt us more. So the fact that you mentioned the injuries, you mentioned yeah. the refereeing and all these things. No, the, the, the fact that we, that we couldn't put a performance together in Boston hurt us more than all those things combined. Well, and, and I mean, I, and I remember even the, the game where Rome threw the hit. I mean, you guys actually did well in the first period. We killed off most of the five. I mean, you guys got into the second, then, you know, Edler's stick breaks and everything kind of falls apart. And the thing I won't forget, and, and maybe we're, we're going over old wounds a bit too much, Yannick, but it was game six in Boston. It was early on in the game. And the, and it was zero zero still. You guys were you know pressing early. Things were going on. Or all right, 
you guys had a chance. The puck goes off the back wall, comes in front. I think Daniel or Henrik had a chance. The puck just bounced over their skate, uh, just over their stick. And you could see it, Thomas was leaning the other way. He gets that on net. That's a goal. I mean, how much would that have changed things if you guys would have had the first goal of one of those games? Well, it, it, back then it was a lot easier to play with with the lead because, you, like you said, they let almost everything go. And yeah. we knew that as well. So it wasn't a surprise anymore come game four, five, six, seven that, that we were allowed to hook and hold, push and shove, cross-check, all these things there. They were almost like it was. It had to be a blatant, these uh, obnoxious trip where you're just tired and you're leaning and you're uh, swooping their feet out and there's no question the referee has to call these. But anything that's considered a battle, it didn't get called. Um, so so what, as soon as you got the lead, you could sit back like you could back in in the early 2000s, 1990s when two, two, two goals was enough to win a hockey game because you just break guys' arm when they came in front of the net. So scoring chances were so far and few in between. Um, where if, if you get a lead at that point, like your teams are starting to cheat a little bit. They get anxious. You get two-on-ones. Uh, you get these cheesy opportunities that you don't get in, in, in tie games or, or in games when you're, when you're down, and, and that's really where you take advantage of playing with the lead. Yannick Hansen, our guest here on uh, on Canucks Central. So, looking at at the Canucks team right now, you know it's it, we're getting ever so close to the off season, Yannick. So, more of uh, the scuttlebutt is is coming out, and you know we're hearing that uh, contract talks with Besser haven't really started all that much yet, and Miller's name keeps popping up in the trade rumor mill. And you know this is something we've talked about so much. It's yes, you love J T. Miller, the player. But it seems as though this front office uh, believes that we love the player, but there's a price we're not willing to pay. And it feels like that's where the disconnect may end up being and why JT Miller may not be a Canuck next year. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing. He's not your franchise player. And he's going to demand, and he deserves, based on numbers, franchise money. Uh, and that's, that's the problem. They, they have to set an eternal salary structure. And PD... Quinn Hughes has to be at the top of this. That's the way it has to be. These guys are going to be the the horses for the next 10 years. They have to be at the top of the pecking order. You have to find a way to get guys in underneath. Unless you're you're lucky and somebody hits free agency, just wants to play for another year or two, and boom, you sign them to a deal that you wouldn't do otherwise just to to round out your roster. Um, But these long-term deals, uh, five, six, seven, eight years, um, they have to find a way to, to fit them into a salary structure where you, your top guys, your best guys, get paid the most. Um, not a lot of guys on the Canucks team I played with made more than Hang and Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everybody just falls into place. You can't walk into uh, to Gillis's office and say, hey, hey Gillis, I, I want six and a half, I want seven. And he looks at you like you got four eyes. Hey, the Twins <laughs> are making six. No chance you're getting that. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody falls in under that. And then again, you, you kind of get that home time town dis- discount, if you will. And I know it's easier said than done because everybody are their individual self and they want to take care of themselves when it comes to off-season contracts and all these things. 
Um, but that's where the issues with, with JT Miller probably comes in. Well, and you know, what really helped you guys back then was the Sedins were outperforming their contract to such a big degree that it really helped the team out that the highest paid players were making that much. And to some degree, the Canucks have that advantage right now, it seems, with Quinn Hughes. Because yes, it's a big ticket, $7.85 million. But when he plays at his best, Yannick, he's worth more than that. So if you have your best players signed to big numbers, but they outperform them, is that really the biggest key in it? Yeah, and that's what you need. That's what you have to have. You look at Colorado right now, and there are six or seven of those guys right now that are outperforming their deals. You can, you can start with McKinnon, Kadri, uh, Landeskog, all of these guys that are signed a while ago, where right now, if you're looking at their numbers and their contract, they should be making, yeah, combined maybe 10 more, and then there's no chance you have a team like that. And that's where you got to fiddle around with your players got them coming together at the right time uh, at the couple entry-level deals and then yeah then you can have a couple of uh, ex- expensive contracts uh, on the side because you're you're given a, and getting a little bit here and there and, and you can round out your roster a lot easier where if everybody is just demanding max dollars then uh, you keep seeing you keep seeing too much of this me- mediocrity, which is obviously what the league wants because it it, it breeds uh, uh, intensity, competitiveness. Um, Everybody is at the same footing, more so. Um, but but again, if you want to build a, a true contender, you, you have to find a way to get guys to take less than what they're worth. It's uh, it's one of the. It's one of the tough parts about the Brock Besser negotiation, too, because, hey, he could next Saturday, uh, you know, the, the Canucks will have to uh, extend a qualifying offer. That's seven and a half million bucks. If he accept, if he accepts that, all of a sudden Brock Besser's making seven and a half million against the cap. You go to negotiate with Bo Horvat. Well, what's he going to ask for? Right. It, it, I think all of these things do fall in line. And with Besser, especially, it, it's such a difficult negotiation. But um, how do you feel or. What do you think Brock Besser is worth? Seven and a half million bucks. No, Yannick? no. Uh, if he scores forty-five next year, yes. Um, he, again, if do you think Brock has that in him, Yannick? Uh, in the right situations, he does have the shot. Yeah. Um, but but he needs to be he needs to be force-fed on the power play and on five-on-five. Mm. Then then he does have the shot uh, and, and that finishing ability that he could potentially touch forty goals stay healthy, all these things. There's a lot of things that, that needs to go right now. Um, but if you're management right now, I feel like you must have a sense as to where Brock stands mm-hmm. uh, in conjunction to you. Is he willing to commit here uh, for longer uh, at less money? You should have probably known that by the deadline. Yeah. Uh, and if, if he's not, you got to move him. Uh, and yeah, you, you'd have to sign him uh, to this uh, seven and a half. Uh, then come deadline, you're going to eat some salary and then you're going to trade him to a contender. But uh, you, you cannot afford to, to let him walk for free next summer. Uh, and you also cannot afford him to afford to sign him a uh, uh, seven and a half uh, mm-hmm. long term if that's what he's wanting. So um, you, you have some tough decisions to make with a young player who has performed uh Pretty pr- pretty decent here at times. Um, uh, so again, you you got to make decisions sooner rather than later on 
him, JT, a couple other guys. Well, and, you know, we were just talking about players slotting in and, and having an internal cap. It, it's hard to talk to Bo about taking a number in the sevens long term if, if Brock Besser is sitting there with a contract over 7.5, even if it is shorter term. But if you're talking about, say, a three-year deal in the six range, does that make more sense? you think, is that fair for a guy of his ilk? Or do you would you rather them use that type of money and try to find different bets and get assets in return? We're talking about Brock now? Brock, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, he's making um, 5.8. You, you have to yeah, give him at least so, six, right? So I, I doubt Brock will take three or four years because that'll push him almost to 30, and that's a tough number to come out if he wants another long-term deal. Um, so so Brock is looking, if I'm him, um, I'm betting on myself and I'm taking one or two years, or I'm maxing out here and I'm taking seven or eight, and then I'll take less. Uh, because that'll push me into my late 30s, and then we'll, or not late 30s, but 33, 34, that range, and, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, because his age right now, where if, if he takes that four years, um, if you're not humming at 29, 30, like JT Miller, you might be in a tougher position to, to sell yourself long-term to a, to a team at that point. Um, so, so again, it, it all depends on his if you will, access strategy, what does Brock want to do as a UFA? Does he want to play in Vancouver or does he want to go back to Minnesota or does he want to go a third place? Um, And then, like I said, through negotiation, I would assume Jim would be able to tell, okay, he's not willing to stay here long term. So we'll we'll find a suitable replacement. Uh, The money will be cleared up when he's leaving. Uh, But again, we got to get some asset in, in return. And how do we maximize that? Before we let you go, Yannick, uh, Monday, uh, the uh, next class of the Hockey Hall of Fame will be announced. It's the first time uh, that uh, your pals Henrik and Daniel Sedin will be eligible for the Hockey Hall of Fame. I I have a hunch as to how you feel about their Hall of Fame candidacy, but for me, it's, it's not just about their numbers because technically their numbers don't jump off the page as some other Hall of Famers would. Uh, they just felt like so much more to hockey than, than just their, their peak years in the game. Yeah, and, and then there's no question. Um, obviously, they didn't win the Stanley Cup and all these things that are uh, always one of the top ones. But, but what they did for the league, the city, uh, the organization, the way they conducted themselves, uh, there is so many more things than just the fact that uh, they were tremendous hockey players they did fill their their personal trophy cases uh, as well so it's not like they don't have the the scoring leading champs and, and all these things not like they didn't take their team right to the edge of of winning that cup they, they did all of those things um so yeah like i said in previous times about this uh, i i feel like it's a shoe in for them uh, for for how they were, what they did, uh, and how they conducted themselves. There, there's so many more things that, that goes into it. Uh, from my point of view, uh, unfortunately, now I'm not on the panel that, that elect these guys, yeah. uh, but by personal opinion, there's no question. Well, and one of the things that I think should be notable when, when we are talking about Hall of Fame players, especially guys that you know have won Ted Lindsay Hart trophies and, and have accomplishments, of course, and have over a thousand points, but is the fact that they had a huge impact on how the game was played and how a lot of teams started doing things and players did things that Sedin started, whether it was a saucer pass, a slap pass, certain things that they did. I mean, these are players that really changed the game in some regards. Yeah, they, they invented a lot of things. The drop pass, yeah. uh, the end board, you can, you can go through a lot of things. So they, they definitely had an impact uh, 
beyond just uh, goals and assists and 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 wins column. And, and again, that is why we're we're talking about them. Why they should be, in our opinion, uh, a first ballot uh, entry there. Uh, so again, I hope they they get what they deserve. But again, I have uh, very colored glasses when it comes <laughs> to this, obviously. So we'll see. Uh, Yannick, we always appreciate the time and the honesty. Thanks for this. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Uh, there is uh, Yannick Hansen. Absolutely a pleasure uh, to talk to Yannick each and every week here on uh, on Canuck Central, and we're happy to have him. He's also on Tuesdays uh, with the People Show at two o'clock. Our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Look, we didn't really um, we didn't plan on bringing up twenty eleven. But it, it kind of just did. I, I started thinking about, you know, how the Lightning would feel aggrieved by the botched call from Game 4 and obviously everything that happened in the series yeah. against Boston in 2011. And at the same time, you know, yes, I know a lot of those players still feel uh, upset about how that whole series played out. But Yannick puts it on the table pretty clearly. Like, it didn't matter what was going on. We weren't, we weren't good enough in those games in Boston. No, they weren't. You know, and, uh, you know, some, some, they didn't get the luck either. No. You know, like I mentioned that play in game six, you score the first goal and you'd like Yannick mentioned that would have meant the world for them at that point and what they needed and how yeah. much ha- having the lead mattered in that series. Um, but it's one of those things that at the end of the day, you had a chance as well and you got blown out in three games, yeah. you know, and th- as a player, as much as you might be frustrated with officiating and certain things that went against you and injuries, it doesn't. You probably have to accept that you didn't do your best, or you didn't perform the way you ha- you could have. You know, hey, sometimes that happens. It's not like you didn't try, but it's hard to square those three games and say that wasn't our fault. Yeah, uh, a couple of texts uh, from our live listeners coming in on that. Dalvir, I'm tearing up listening to Yannick talk about 2011. <laughs> Crying face emojis. Yeah, uh, Jeffro, I've never rewatched any of the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals games. And Torgi, no BS from Yannick. I bleeping love him. <laughs> so uh, that's generally what happens on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Everybody appreciates Yannick's honesty and pretty honest about JT Miller and Brock Besser, as he has been in all of our conversations. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing for Yannick is maintaining the internal cap structure and having Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson be the highest paid players on the team and letting everybody else fall in line below them. And that's why, you know, we always talked about one of the big reasons why, in in addition to why you don't want to be giving or you're concerned about giving JT a long-term contract of big money and how that plays out is how much do you want to blow up your cap structure? Yeah. You know, you know, it's one thing to pay him 7.8, 7.9, or close to what Hughes is making. It's another to be paying him 8.5 or 9. Mm-hmm. That does screw things up, and I don't think the team has any interest in doing that. Uh, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Again, a uh, quote out of the province from Jim Rutherford. With JT Miller, we've suggested we would like to keep him. He's been a good player for the Canucks, but it may not make sense for both sides. This is a time that he's earned going into free agency. We'd like to do it but we've got to be careful. That's about as forthcoming as Jim Rutherford has been. He's always said 
that if the number gets out of control, we're going to have to look at trading the player. Mm-hmm. But um, this is about as forthcoming as, as Jim Rutherford has been as far as, you know, it, it sounds as though talks haven't gone well. <laughs> or they, do, they, don't, they don't seem to... I just think that I think that I think they're far apart and they've always been far apart. Yes. And I think maybe there is an understanding now that it's going to be harder to bridge that. Well, think about it. Philip Forsberg, um, you know, the report came out from Frank Saravalli a couple of days ago that still far apart, Nashville and Philip Forsberg. Yeah. Teams teams are figuring this out. You know, they're figuring out where the numbers are for the guys that they need to sign. Yeah. You have an idea. And and ahead of the draft and ahead of free agency. Uh, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw coming up. It's uh, Friday, so you know what that means. It means the mailbag. Sat puts out a prompt for you on Twitter every Friday morning. You respond with your questions for us here on the show, Canucks or otherwise, and we answer them in the mailbag. It's Mailbag Friday next on Canucks Central.